0: Part Three of the Little Mermaid by Hans Christian Andersen. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part Three He had a man's dress made for her so that she could ride about with him. They used to ride through scented woods where the green branches brushed her shoulders, and little birds sang among the fresh leaves. She climbed up the highest mountains with the prince. And although her delicate feet bled so that others saw it, she only laughed and followed him until they saw the clouds sailing below them like a flock of birds taking flight to distant lands. At home in the Prince's palace, when at night the others were asleep, she used to go out onto the marble steps. It cooled her burning feet to stand in the cold sea-water, and at such times she used to think of those she had left in the deep one night her sisters came arm in arm they sang so sorrowfully as they swam on the water that she beckoned to them and they recognized her and told her how she had grieved them all after that they had visited her every night and one night she saw a long way out her old grandmother who for many years had not been above the water and the merman king with his crown on his head They stretched out their hands toward her, but did not venture so close to land as her sisters. Day by day she became dearer to the prince. He loved her as one loves a good sweet child, but it never entered his head to make her his queen, yet unless she became his wife she would never win an everlasting soul, but on his wedding morning would turn to sea-foam. Am I not dearer to you than any of them? The little mermaid's eyes seemed to say, when he took her in his arms and kissed her beautiful brow. Yes, you are the dearest one to me, said the prince, for you have the best heart of them all, and you are fondest of me. You are also like a young girl I once saw, but whom I never expect to see again. I was on board a ship which was wrecked. I was driven on shore by the waves close to a holy temple where several young girls were ministering at a service. The youngest of them found me on the beach and saved my life. I saw her but twice. She was the only person I could love in this world. But you are like her. You almost drive her image out of my heart. She belongs to the holy temple, and therefore by good fortune you have been sent to me. We will never part. Alas, he does not know that it was I who saved his life, thought the little mermaid. I bore him over the sea to the wood where the temple stands. I sat behind the foam and watched to see if anyone would come. I saw the pretty girl he loves better than me. And the mermaid heaved a bitter sigh, for she could not weep the girl belongs to the holy temple he has said she will never return to the world they will never meet again i am here with him i see him every day yes i will tend him love him and give up my life to him but now the rumour ran that the prince was to be married to the beautiful daughter of a neighbouring king and for that reason was fitting out a splendid ship It was given out that the prince was going on a voyage to see the adjoining countries, but it was without doubt to see the king's daughter. He was to have a great suite with him. But the little mermaid shook her head and laughed. She knew the prince's intentions much better than any of the others. "'I must take this voyage,' he had said to her. "'I must go and see the beautiful princess. My parents demand that—' but they will never force me to bring her home as my bride. I can never love her. She will not be like the lovely girl in the temple whom you resemble. If ever I had to choose a bride, it would sooner be with you with your speaking eyes, my sweet dumbfounding.' And he kissed her rosy mouth, played with her long hair, and laid his head upon her heart, which already dreamt of human joys and an immortal soul. "'You are not frightened of the sea, I suppose, my dumb child?' he said, as they stood on the proud ship which was to carry them to the country of the neighbouring king. And he told her about storms and calms, about curious fish in the deep, and the marvels seen by divers. And she smiled at his tales, for she knew all about the bottom of the sea much better than any one else. At night, in the moonlight... When all were asleep, except the steersman who stood at the helm, she sat at the side of the ship, trying to pierce the clear water with her eyes, and fancied she saw her father's palace, and above it her old grandmother with her silver crown on her head, looking up through the cross-currents toward the keel of the ship. Then her sisters rose above the water. They gazed sadly at her, wringing their white hands. She beckoned to them, smiled, and was about to tell them that all was going well and happily with her, when the cabin-boy approached and the sisters dived down, but he supposed that the white objects he had seen were nothing but flakes of foam. The next morning the ship entered the harbor of the neighboring king's magnificent city. The church-bells rang, and trumpets were sounded from every lofty tower while the soldiers paraded with flying flags and glittering bayonets there was a fete every day there was a succession of balls and receptions followed one after the other but the princess was not yet present she was being brought up a long way off in a holy temple they said and was learning all the royal virtues at last she came the little mermaid stood eager to see her beauty and she was obliged to confess that a lovelier creature she had never beheld her complexion was exquisitely pure and delicate and her trustful eyes of the deepest blue shone through their dark lashes it is you said the prince you who saved me when i lay almost lifeless on the beach and he clasped his blushing bride to his heart oh i am too happy he exclaimed to the little mermaid. A greater joy than I had dared to hope for has come to pass. You will rejoice at my joy, for you love me better than any one. Then the little mermaid kissed his hand, and felt as if her heart were broken already. His wedding morn would bring death to her and change her to foam all the church-bells pealed and heralds rode through the town proclaiming the nuptials upon every altar throughout the land fragrant oil was burnt in costly silver lamps amidst the swinging of censers by the priests the bride and bridegroom joined hands and received the bishop's blessing the little mermaid dressed in silk and gold stood holding the bride's train but her ears were deaf to the festal strains Her eyes saw nothing of the sacred ceremony. She was thinking of her coming death, and of all that she had lost in this world. That same evening the bride and bridegroom embarked, amidst the roar of cannon and the waving of banners. A royal tent of purple and gold, softly cushioned, was raised amidships, where the bridal pair were to repose during the calm, cool night. The sails swelled in the wind, and the ship skimmed lightly and almost without motion over the transparent sea. At dusk lanterns of many colors were lighted, and the sailors danced merrily on deck. The little mermaid could not help thinking of the first time she came up from the sea and saw the same splendor and gaiety, and she now threw herself among the dancers whirling as a swallow skims through the air when pursued. The onlookers cheered her in amazement. Never had she danced so divinely. Her delicate feet pained her as if they were cut with knives, but she did not feel it, for the pain at her heart was much sharper. She knew that it was the last night that she would breathe the same air as he, and would look upon the mighty deep and the blue starry heavens. An endless night without thought and without dreams awaited her, who neither had a soul nor could win one. The joy and revelry on board lasted till long past midnight. She went on laughing and dancing with the thought of death all the time in her heart. The prince caressed his lovely bride, and she played with his raven locks, and with their arms entwined they retired to the gorgeous tent. All became hushed and still on board the ship. Only the steersman stood at the helm. The little mermaid laid her white arms on the gunwale, and looked eastwards for the pink-tinted dawn. The first sunbeam she knew would be her death. Then she saw her sisters rise from the water. They were as pale as she was. Their beautiful long hair no longer floated on the breeze, for it had been cut off we have given it to the witch to obtain her help so that you may not die tonight. she has given us a knife here it is look how sharp it is before the sun rises you must plunge it into the prince's heart and when his warm blood sprinkles your feet they will join together and grow into a tail and you will once more be a mermaid you will be able to come down into the water to us and to live out your three hundred years before you are turned into dead salt sea-foam. Make haste—you or he must die before sunrise. Our old grandmother is so full of grief that her white hair has fallen off as ours fell under the witch's scissors. Slay the Prince, and come back to us—quick, quick! Do you not see the rosy streak in the sky? In a few minutes the sun will rise and then you must die.' Saying this they heaved a wondrous deep sigh, and sank among the waves. The little mermaid drew aside the purple curtain from the tent, and looked at the beautiful bride asleep with her head on the prince's breast. She bent over him, and kissed his fair brow, looked at the sky where the dawn was spreading fast, looked at the sharp knife, and again fixed her eyes on the Prince, who, in his dream, called his bride by name. Yes, she was alone in his thoughts. For a moment the knife quivered in her grasp. Then she threw it far out among the waves, now rosy in the morning light, and where it fell the water bubbled up like drops of blood. Once more she looked at the Prince, with her eyes already dimmed by death then dashed overboard and fell her body dissolving into foam now the sun rose from the sea and with its kindly beams warmed the deadly coal foam so that the little mermaid did not feel the chill of death she saw the bright sun and above her floated hundreds of beauteous ethereal beings through which she could see the white ship and the rosy heavens Their voices were melodious, but so spirit-like that no human ear could hear them any more than earthly eye could see their forms. Light as bubbles they floated through the air without the aid of wings. The little mermaid perceived that she had a form like theirs. It gradually took shape out of the foam. "'To whom am I coming?' said she and her voice sounded like that of the other beings, so unearthly in its beauty, that no music of ours could reproduce it. "'To the daughters of the air,' answered the others. "'A mermaid has no undying soul, and can never gain one without winning the love of a human being. Her eternal life must depend upon an unknown power. Nor have the daughters of the air an everlasting soul.' but by their own good deeds they may create one for themselves. We fly to the tropics, where mankind is the victim of hot and pestilent winds. There we bring cooling breezes. We diffuse the scent of flowers all around, and bring refreshment and healing in our train. When for three hundred years we have laboured to do all the good in our power, we gain an undying soul and take part in the everlasting joys of mankind. You, poor little mermaid, have with your whole heart struggled for the same thing as we have struggled for. You have suffered and endured, raised yourself to the spirit-world of the air, and now, by your own good deeds, you may, in the course of three hundred years, work out for yourself an undying soul. Then the little mermaid lifted her transparent arms towards God's son, and for the first time shed tears. On board ship all was again life and bustle. She saw the Prince with his lovely bride searching for her. They looked sadly at the bubbling foam, as if they knew that she had thrown herself into the waves unseen she kissed the bride on her brow smiled at the prince and rose aloft with the other spirits of the air to the rosy clouds which sailed above in three hundred years we shall thus float into paradise we might reach it sooner whispered one unseen we flit into those homes of men where there are children and for every day that we find a good child who gives pleasure to its parents and deserves their love god shortens our time of probation the child does not know when we fly through the room and when we smile with pleasure at it one year of our three hundred is taken away but if we see a naughty or badly disposed child we cannot help shedding tears of sorrow and every tear adds a day to the time of our probation End of part three. End of the Little Mermaid by Hans Christian Andersen. This story read by Phil Chenevere in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, October of 2013. Thank you for listening.